With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is January the 13th, 2023. <clears throat> and boy, oh boy, the craziness just keeps on coming. Uh, we had Joe Biden finally showing up at the border between the United States and Mexico. <clears throat> Incredibly, um, they apparently swept all the debris and all the illegal aliens under some uh, rug, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I was on a uh, program earlier this week, John Katsimatidis, who does a show called Cats at Night on ABC News Radio, or ABC Radio, and they asked me about what I thought of what went on on the border, and I said, well, you know, it's my belief that perhaps the ASPCA was there to make certain that no animals were harmed in the making of that dog and cat show, or cat and dog show, or whatever. This is insane. It's truly insane. And it's not just the Mexican border. I mean, what, what really angers me uh, on so many levels, everyone has a laser focus on the Mexican border while they're ignoring all the other elements of the failed immigration system, and these are all failures by design. And before we just jump all over Biden, and believe me, I could jump all over him and the Democrats, I want to remind you of a couple of factors because it's both parties that have done this to us over a lengthy period of time. This immigration crisis has been a long time in the making, going back to Jimmy Carter, who initially said immigration employees could no longer, INS employees could no longer use the term illegal alien to describe illegal aliens. You know, Orwell was alive and well, and uh, the term alien, under the laws of our country, under the Immigration and Nationality Act, an alien is defined simply as any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. There's no insult, but there is clarity. And when the census was conducted under the Carter administration, immigration agents were warned to make no arrests unless they got authorization through the chain of command all the way to Washington. Who ever heard of anything that nuts? And the same thing happened with Obama. Why? Well, they wanted to make certain, they, the administration, wanted to make certain that the census counted illegal aliens. And if you looked at the cities back then, in the, in the late 70s, the cities were the Democrat strongholds, and they had the largest number of illegal aliens, it was believed. So the point would be that if you counted more people in those uh, locales, they would wind up getting more votes in the House, you know, more Senate, more House seats, and as a consequence, more votes in the Electoral College. This was gerrymandering through the use of illegal aliens. Uh, this is 
been the history of immigration. How do we exploit this system? It wasn't that way under Eisenhower. He, oper- he uh, launched Operation Wetback when he was told there were probably a million or more illegal aliens in the United States. He said, round them up and get them the hell out of here. If they don't belong here, they don't belong here. They're trespassing. That's what you get when you have a general like Eisenhower in the White House as president. Over time, and we got to the point of Jimmy Carter, then we got to the point of Ronald Reagan, and look at what Reagan did. Gave us the visa waiver program at the behest of the Chamber of Commerce. I call them the Chamber of Horrors. Uh, took away a very important uh, safety measure. You know, if an alien lies on a visa application, they're looking at five to ten years in jail. But if that lie is committed in conjunction with terrorism, the punishment goes to 25 years. We've taken away a visa requirement that also helps to vet people coming into the United States. Understand, the inspector at the airport is, or anywhere else has a very tough job. I know, I did the job for four years. Unlike the talking heads on TV, I have been there and done that literally. And I've probably mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. The inspectors were always under pressure to move the lines of passengers coming in, period. I would have some bosses actually sit behind me with a stopwatch, and they would come back to me after a flight and say to me, Mr. Cutler, I was at Kennedy Airport, Mr. Cutler, you are averaging a minute and 12 seconds. We need to get it down under a minute, or unfortunately, it's going to be reflected in your evaluation. Well, was this a speed test, or was this a process to help keep out people who pose a threat? Now, this was prior to 9-11. We weren't as concerned, although we should have been, about terrorists. We weren't as concerned about criminals, although we did have a criminal element coming in. But immigration was sort of almost under control. The crazy stuff that would follow had yet to happen. But nevertheless, INS was an agency that refused to take itself seriously. And I had bosses say to me, what's, the, what's wrong with this guy? And I said, well, he has no money on him. <clears throat> or some of them would have what we called show money. They would come in from a third world country, Guatemala, Ecuador, Mexico, wherever. And it, it was almost laughable, but not really, because we had people that came in they were obviously farmers. If you've ever seen the hands of hardworking farmers, their hands are, are, are so beaten up and callous, they almost look like lobster claws. I mean, it's terrible. It's really terrible. They, they have hardened hands where they could barely move their fingers. It's like a catcher's myth, some of these workers. And they would come in with those, you know, hands the way they were, wearing a suit that still had the labels on them. They never even took the labels off. They were wearing shoes. Uh, that they had trouble walking in because they never wore shoes like that before. <clears throat> and you would ask them, how long do you plan to stay? And they would always tell you two weeks. And you would say, how much money do you have? And they would take out, and they had $800. And that was, they all had $800. It was incredible. $800. Let me see the money. So they would have a, a stack, a wad of bills, usually with a 50 or or $100 bill on the outside, lower denominations on the inside, rubber banded together, and you could see that this money had not been unwrapped in God knows how long because the rubber band had worked its way into this wad, and the wad was filthy, covered with soil, with dirt. It was handed from one of these aliens to another by the people that facilitated their travel to the United States. You would search them, and they had $800 in one pocket and $3.09 in the other pocket, And it was obvious. 
they were coming to work, which is illegal. By the way, and I think this is really important for you to understand this, prior to World War II, the immigration laws were the responsibility, the enforcement of immigration laws were the responsibility of the Labor Department. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, especially during the Depression, said, look, we've got to ramp up immigration law enforcement. The whole idea was to make certain that American workers would not have to compete with foreign workers. The goal was to get Americans working. And what Roosevelt and his administration said was, <clears throat> if we allow foreign workers into the country, they will drive down wages because they will work for less money under worse conditions, plus labor is a commodity. If you flood the marketplace with a commodity, you drive down the value of the commodity. In economics, this is called dumping if you do it intentionally, <clears throat> and it's a crime. It's about manipulating the price of a commodity. If you flood the labor pool with lots and lots of workers, you will, because of supply and demand, drive down the value of the labor, make the wages go down. Now, add to that the fact that you're going to wind up displacing Americans. You know, this garbage. Well, the immigrants do the work Americans won't do. No, uh, they leave out for that money and under those conditions. When Trump came in, I remember that during the summer there were some places up in New England screaming bloody murder that Trump was cracking down on people who hired illegal aliens. And so now these restaurants and so forth said, my God, what are we supposed to do? They've taken away all of our foreign workers. We're going to have to hire American college kids but they will expect much more money. So we're going to have to pay them more. What happened to the free market economy? Right? We hear so much about this. Free market, it should be the way, you know, open competition. Yeah, but you can't compete against the third world if you're an American. Third world workers think $3 a day is a fortune. Are you kidding me? See, you had these employers screaming bloody hell because Trump had immigration authorities go in and go after the people who hired the illegals to free up the jobs for the Americans. Wow, what a concept. That's why the laws exist. So what they wanted to do under, uh, you know, just about every administration, but particularly the Republicans, drive down the wages. And, and, and it's funny because years ago people would say, well, the Democrats at immigration are looking for the votes and the Republicans are looking for cheap labor. And no one really looked behind the phrase cheap labor. What does that mean? Well, what it means is to fire Americans and destroy the middle class, destroy wages, destroy opportunities for Americans. It's so important for college kids, for high school kids, to get that first job. Think back to when you were that age. You have a real problem, a real conundrum. It's a vicious cycle. You can't have a resume until you get a job, but you can't get a job without a resume. So usually, what were your first jobs? I know what I did. When I was 14, I had to get working papers, and that to me is what undocumented worker means if you didn't have working papers, that certified that you weren't working more than a certain number of hours, that you were attending school and so forth because of state labor laws. So you had to get working papers, and I worked in a kosher delicatessen that was about four or five blocks from my house. Where else would a Jewish kid from Brooklyn get a job? I waited tables. I washed dishes. I made the French fries in those in the in the, in the deep fryer, and and I served the, the tables and so forth. And then I made deliveries of foods uh, to the local beauty parlors on the weekend. So I, I hustled. I learned how to make a buck. I learned how to 
work for an employer, show up on time. It was a good experience. I was 14. <clears throat> then I got a job in a day camp, and I had a couple of other jobs. And when I was in college, I had the opportunity to go work for what was then First National City Bank. City Bank is what they call it today. And I was assigned to signing up companies on what was then the everything cards, the forerunner to Visa and MasterCard. You can't have credit cards if you don't have companies and establishments that, that will accept it. And back then, we used to have an imprint uh, machine. So you'd put the credit card in the machine, for those of you old enough to remember, and they'd put the receipt. It was a, a multi-page uh, receipt with carbon paper, and you would work the imprinter back and forth, and it would leave the imprint of your name, your phone number, your, your card number, whatever, and they would write in how much money. And if, it was, if the purchase was more than, I think it was $30, this was in the late 60s, they had to call in uh, to a number at, at First National City to get authorization so that they could accept the charge of more than 30 or $35, okay? Now, of course, it's all done by computer. We don't have the imprinter. We don't have little carbon pieces of paper. But, again, this was the 1960s. I got that job in, in, in part because I had a resume. <clears throat> I was able to say, yes, I worked for these four prior employers, and I got letters of recommendation from those employers. So the first national city said, yes, this guy is trustworthy. So they hired me as a sales associate for the summer uh, of 1967, going back to then. And I, I worked, and it was a great experience. And that became yet another entry in my resume to the day that I ultimately became a federal agent. It was a nice, credible job. They paid me uh, quite well, uh, and I was bonded, which meant I held the position of trust. So, again, another you know, step in the staircase to my ultimate career as a federal agent. If you don't provide job opportunities for American kids, how do they build that resume with the first jobs? And please don't tell me about lazy Americans. I'm tired of this crap. I'm tired of the politicians who have nothing but disdain for Americans. I've gone to McDonald's. I've seen American kids in McDonald's working, you know, at the car window or working behind the counter, doing what they've got to do to make a paycheck and, and, and get that first entry in that resume or that second entry. But unfortunately, all too many of those jobs have gone away because we automatically assume, oh, we're going to get some illegal alien to do the work. This is crazy. This is crazy. Back then, and, and, and we could talk about Eisenhower, and that when Sputnik was launched, he said, we're going to make sure American kids get the best training in math and science so that they can take the jobs that America can lead. No one said, we're going to call up India or some other third world country and bring foreign workers to the United States. That wouldn't happen. That's how America became America, by relying on its own People. I had a major argument with Ted Cruz one day back in 2013. We both spoke at an event across from the White House in the park. And Cruz does his usual routine. We need to secure that border. You know, it's what we keep hearing, secure that. It's always that border, meaning the Mexican border. Never mind that aliens come through international airports. They come through Canada. They come along our 95,000 miles of coastline. We need to secure that border. We're hitting the same crap now. No one's looking at any other way into the country. Just that border, right? Is that border a disaster? It's an unmitigated disaster of unprecedented historic proportions, and it keeps me awake. It's not minor. It's huge. 
but it's only one hole in the bottom of our boat, and there are many holes, and the Republicans have no interest in plugging those holes either, apparently. Because if all they can talk about is the Mexican border, then they're ignoring how many other holes. And by the way, for the record, I, I started talking about Reagan when Donald Trump wanted to build the wall. Did the Republicans provide the money when they controlled both houses? Absolutely not. Um, in fact, think about what George Washington had to say about political parties. This is George Washington, his farewell address. However, political parties may now and then answer popular ends. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion, right? So we hear this garbage. Well, the Republicans want cheap labor. No, the Republicans want to see Americans either lose their jobs or take massive wage cuts. People say, well, Mr. Cutler, why are you a registered Democrat? The hell with working middle-class Americans enraged me. My father was a construction worker, a tradesman. Without tradesmen, we'd all be living in holes in caves or, or you know, holes in the wall or under trees or whatever. Tradesmen build everything. Engineers build everything. Engineers are basically white-collar tradesmen. They actually build things instead of BS like the politicians, like the scams run by the banks and other financial institutions. You know, when you hear banks talk about the products they offer, my answer is I didn't know the three-card Monty was a product. So what we, we look at when we see all this business about bringing in foreign workers is not educating American kids. It doesn't matter if you educate American kids. When you have people in positions of power in our government and in the private sector influencing our government, and they don't really want to bring in, or they want to bring in foreign workers, what they're really doing is disincentivizing American kids from going to college and taking degrees in areas of, of STEM. We hear a lot about STEM, but are we really incentivizing it? By bringing in foreign workers, we are destroying the wage structure for STEM. Uh, and we'll get to that momentarily, but I, I just wanted to finish what I was saying about Ronald Reagan. So he gave us the visa waiver program. He gave us the very first amnesty that was supposed to involve a million illegal aliens. He wind up with almost three and a half million. And even with that, no one talks about the, the hidden number. Every time you give an alien a green card or lawful status, under the law they have an immediate and absolute right to bring in all of their minor children and their spouses. And, and i got to tell you, I, I agree with that policy because, let's face it, families, uh, people travel in families. You can't possibly expect someone to live permanently in the United States and leave their children behind, leave their spouses behind. It doesn't work that way. So suddenly you have three and a half million legalized aliens, and what are they going to want to do? Bring in their families, bring in their wives, bring in their children if they're not here. So the Reagan amnesty, and we don't even know what the numbers are, may well have ultimately led to the entry of, of 10 or 15 million aliens. Because if each legalized alien on average had four or five children, do the math. Now we're being told the same nonsense. We have to legalize the people. We could be looking at 100 million. I've talked about this many times. If you legalize 25 million, and I think that's an optimistic number given all that's here, 
And on average, they each bring in four kids. Some will bring in none. Some will bring in, you know, 12. God knows, and they'll lie through their teeth. And the Biden administration has no interest in pursuing immigration fraud. We know that from what Mayorkas has said and what he's done in the past. So we could have an onslaught of 100 million, right? And these are kids, so they got to go to school immediately. This would crush America. This would overwhelm America. That's why I said that comprehensive reform, uh, which I came to call the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act, uh, because you're giving lawful status and identity documents to people who snuck into the country without the capacity to interview them, let alone do a field investigation, um, it's dangerous. But we should also call it the Overwhelm America Act. Okay, so these are the things that Reagan did. He also gave us the diversity visa. We hear so much about the visa lottery, the diversity visa. Guess what? The wheels to put that into action started with Reagan and was completed by George Herbert Walker Bush. These are the Republicans. And then Clinton came along with Motor Voter, and we know where that could lead. He also was big on the H-1B visas, which destroyed jobs and wages for Americans. All the people that claimed they're looking to create jobs for Americans, they're looking to lift up our people, are full of you-know-what. When you make Americans compete with foreign workers, you drive down their wages. Alan Greenspan, in fact, and I've mentioned it before, but I, I feel compelled to quote Greenspan because he testified to Schumer back on April 30th, 2009. They had a hearing about comprehensive immigration reform, and Greenspan talked about the need to have more undocumented, unauthorized, I think was the term he used, unauthorized workers. They're a flexible labor force, and they only minimally suppress the wages of American workers who have no high school diplomas. If you minimally suppress their wages, they become homeless. They're they're close to homeless already. And then he started to talk, Greenspan did, about the high-tech workers, the H-1B visas. And, And what he said is infuriating. He said that we need to do what Bill Gates asked for. And what did Bill Gates want? An unlimited supply of H-1B visas. Okay, he wasn't the only one. Silicon Valley is floating on them. And so Greenspan starts talking about the two big benefits. First, skilled workers and their families form new households. They will, of necessity, move into vacant housing units, <clears throat> the current glut of which is the pricing prices of American homes. And, of course, house price declines are a major factor in mortgage foreclosures and the plunge in value of the vast quantity of U.S. mortgage-backed securities that has contributed substantially to the disabling of our banking system. This was back in 2009. No, that wasn't what did it. It was his subprime mortgages, okay? And I love the term, you know, um, vacant housing units. Can you just see the Norman Rockwell painting on the mantle? My goodness gracious, these people are unscrupulous. They don't give a damn about the average American or the average family. But then he said something that really made me crazy. The second bonus would address the increasing concentration of income in this country. In other words, someone's getting too rich. He's certainly not talking about himself or Zuckerberg or Gates. No, he was talking about middle-class Americans, folks. Think about that. Let me continue. Let me read this again. The second bonus, that is, to having huge numbers of H-1B visas, would address the increasing concentration of income in this country. Greatly expanding our quotas to the highly skilled with lower wage premiums of the skilled over the lesser skilled. Think what he's saying. If we flood America with foreign workers, we're going to drive down the wages of the high-tech workers. That's the goal. 
That's the, it's not an unintended consequence. It's the purpose for the whole damn thing. This is not unintended. It's engineered, okay? Greatly expanding our quotas for the highly skilled would lower the wage premiums of skilled over the lesser skilled. Skill shortages in America exist because we're shielding our skilled labor force from world competition. Guess what? That's what the immigration laws are designed to do. That's why when you hear these thieving characters say, well, we need to modernize the immigration law, they want to remove a paragraph in, in Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, that essentially says you cannot hire foreign workers when American workers are ready, willing, and able to do the job in that general locale. And they say, that's not right. We should be able to fire every damn American and bring in only foreign workers and make them work for lower wages under terrible conditions so we can make more money. We can make more money. We who? The people at the top of the food chain. That's how they want to modernize the immigration laws. Eliminate the clause that says you may not hire foreign workers when there are Americans who are ready, willing, and able. And they're saying, no, 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 no. We should be able to hire anybody, including illegal aliens, or at least aliens, if not illegal. And by not having interior enforcement, lots of illegal aliens were getting hired anyway. And in a moment, I'm going to tell you the latest insanity from the Biden administration, because Fox News reported on it earlier today. In any event, just to finish the quote and listen to the disdain that Greenspan showed for American high-tech workers. These are Americans who have graduate degrees. These are the programmers and the technicians, the people who are the STEM graduates, okay? We hear so much about STEM. Quotas have been substituted for the wage pricing mechanism, and in the process, we have created a privileged elite whose incomes are being supported at non-competitively high levels by immigration quotas on skilled professionals. Eliminating such restrictions would reduce at least some of our income inequality. Well, what did he just say? American high-tech workers are the privileged elite. They're making a good paycheck, and that paycheck is much too big. And the solution to all this money that's going to them and not to the pockets of the people at the top of the food chain is to make those Americans compete with workers from the third world because they will work for a lot less. They will work for worse conditions. They won't expect the fringe benefits. See? Wow. And both parties are all in. When I had an argument with Bob Goodlatte, who was the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and I said, why aren't you running that video of Greenspan making that statement at that hearing because it was available for quite some time on the Internet? He didn't want to answer me. On the third go-round, he finally told me how his son was a brilliant programmer and how he, his son, would love to see thousands upon thousands and even more thousands of brilliant Indian programmers and programmers from other countries come to America. And I said, well, what happens when they displace American workers? Dan Rather did a report called No Thanks for Everything about 10, 15 years ago where he interviewed four or five programmers who had their master's degrees a couple of them were Phi Beta Kappa graduates. They lost their job after working loyally for um, a variety of companies, including Microsoft. They came to work one day. They were handed a box and told to clean out their office. What did I do wrong? Nothing. Then why am I cleaning out my office? We don't need you anymore. And they brought in mostly people from India to displace them. 
And in fact, Bob Goodlatte, when he was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, used to be seen frequently with a young lady who was of Indian ethnicity, um, who would always be seen with him in the photographs when they were in, in the big hearing room for the House Judiciary Committee, a hearing room where I testified before numerous hearings myself. And you had Goodlatte telling me point blank that his son would love to see thousands upon thousands of brilliant foreign programmers come to America. And I said, well, what's to happen to the Americans? You're the chairman of the Judiciary Committee of the United States government. Don't you get, care about the American workers? I said, what are they, chopped liver? And Goodlatte got furious, and he said to me, Mr. Cutler, our conversation is finished. Wow. How dare I stand up for American programmers and high-tech workers? My first wife, who tragically died of cancer over 30 years ago, was a brilliant programmer with all the academic credentials you could want. And the people who worked for her, Americans with one exception, all had comparable credentials. Phi Beta Kappa graduates, MBA computer science. They were members of the National Math Honor Society. They were la creme de la creme, the best of the best, working for a major company here in the United States. And Goodlatte's answer was, we want to bring in people from India. Well, when he told me about his son, I looked up Bobby Goodlatte. Go look him up, folks. You'll see I'm not giving you a, a, a baloney story, okay? Bobby Goodlatte got his start with Zuckerberg at Facebook. He's made a ton of money. He's only, I believe, in his 30s. <clears throat> and he made the money in the computer industry by bringing in foreign workers. Bob Goodlatte himself, by the way, the former congressman, is an immigration lawyer who has a multi-state law practice that specializes in, you guessed it, H-1B visas. And now Zoe Lofgren, who chairs the Immigration Subcommittee in the House, and I know her, I've testified in front of her and in front of Goodlatte, Zoe was, I believe, a past president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. These people have a serious conflict of interest. They see immigration as a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap labor, and it's not just the illegals. It's the visas, too, folks. An unlimited supply of foreign tourists and foreign students. And by the way, foreign students get to get um, optional practical training so they can work in the United States, and they've always given them more and more and more time to work. It's not just about training. It's about displacing Americans. It's about driving down wages. It's about driving destroying incentives for American kids to go to the universities and get those degrees. No wonder the universities don't care about teaching STEM. They're too busy teaching indoctrination and how to cross-dress. Why? Because anybody with those degrees is going to have a tough time getting a job in America because of these immigration policies. Right? Think about the damage that we're doing. Disincentivizing achievement, disincentivizing the high-tech jobs, and thereby destroying not only the middle class, but America's ultimate competitiveness in the world. Ultimate competitiveness in the world. And, and we keep seeing the same pattern. <clears throat> if you remember when Katrina hit, to give you an idea of something that I had heard, and then I responded with my own idea. When Katrina destroyed New Orleans and, and other areas, George W. Bush was the president, suspended the I-9 program. The I-9 is the way that you fill out documentation to make certain that the employer doesn't hire illegal aliens, okay? Bush said, we're going to suspend the I-9 requirement so we can get all these immigrant workers 
they're not immigrants. They were immigrants. They could pass the I-9. These were illegal aliens, mostly from Mexico, which changed the, the whole culture of the area that went from American black to Latino overnight because they brought in literally an army of foreign workers to rebuild New Orleans. And I said, well, if you want to make lemonade out of lemons, I have a better idea. But, of course, Bush would never do it because he's all in on globalism. That's why his brother, Jeb Bush, said that illegal immigration was an act of love. I wrote a piece for Front Page, and I, I said that he was looking for love in all the wrong places, right? But what if the president had said, we have an extreme need for construction workers to come to New Orleans and neighboring areas and rebuild after the devastation. So why don't we find out who is interested in becoming a construction worker? We used to do that in this country. I remember watching an old episode of What's My Line. Again, those of you old enough to remember that show with John Charles Daly and then Bennett Cerf and Arlene Francis and Dorothy Kilgall. It was a great show because it, it taught you how to ask good questions, right? They had a question, the person who concealed what their line was, what their job was, and, and, and through awful questioning, they were supposed to figure out what work they did. And really, questions, and I call it the art of the question, really important, super important in, in, in my old profession as an agent, right, interrogating people. So one day, these two very pretty young ladies, they were twin sisters, as I recall, wearing these party dresses, came in. They were in their early 20s. And their secret, their, 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 their line was, they were house painters. It was unusual then for women to be involved with any of the construction trades. Of course, the world has changed quite a bit since the 60s. This is when Kennedy was in the White House. And they finally, I think they actually stumped the panel. Nobody believed it. They said, how did that happen? How did you become house painters? And they said that when they were in high school, their guidance counselor called them in and said the Labor Department let it be known to the high schools in the area, and even some colleges, mostly high schools, that there was a shortage of construction workers, painters, bricklayers, carpenters. And so what they did was they kind of recruited in the high school. And so the counselor said, you know, if you're not interested in going on to college, this is a great way to make a living. It's a fun job. You're outdoors. You're not stuck at a de behind a desk somewhere. And these two girls decided that they would become house painters. And they were very happy doing it. And think of that approach. We have a shortage of name the profession if the labor department would go to the schools and say, hey, this is where you need to consider going because you can make a living and there's a lot of work to be done. What a great idea, putting Americans to work. Remember all the politicians saying, I'm going to create jobs. We hear it from door catcher candidates to presidential candidates. I'm going to create jobs. Well, who's going to take the jobs is the question. And it was kind of funny because, as I remember, at the end of that program, they always had these little announcements. And what they had said at the end of the program was the average wages were up, high school graduation numbers and college graduation numbers were up, more Americans than ever were working, and America's future is bright. And this was some ways around 1962. Unemployment was down. Working Americans were up, wages were on the rise, uh, and part of it was because the Labor Department figured out a way to recruit Americans to do the jobs we needed, not bring in illegal aliens. Wow. 
So what if George W. Bush had gone to the Labor Department and said, look, we need construction workers. We need iron workers. We need concrete. We need electricians and plumbers and you name it, carpenters and painters. And Wow. And let's say they didn't have enough to begin with. Here's an interesting idea. Go to the parole boards. Go to the Justice Department. Find people who had committed some crimes, but they were back out. They, they served their time, right? They paid their debt to society, as they used to say. And they're, they're, they're on probation. They're out there trying to find work. And we have a problem with recidivism, right? People that are unable to, to fit in, people that have issues, and they wind up committing more crime and going back to jail. It's called recidivism. What if you took some of those people who committed certain crimes, you know, nothing that would upset an employer, you know, whatever it is. But again, they did their time. They're, they're try, we're trying to reintegrate them into society. So imagine the guy that robbed a bank could be given training to be an electrician, given training to be a carpenter, right? Many people who commit crime are functionally illiterate if you look at the numbers, right? So imagine if you could take people who had done crime, they served their jail sentence, they're on probation, they're trying to make their way in the world and stay on the, the straight and narrow, and you say to them, we'll put you through training for free. We'll actually pay you. In Europe, they do that with the trade schools, because tradesmen are essential, tradespeople. I guess you have to say these days. My, my dad was a tradesman. He was a plumber. He worked on construction. He didn't do repairs. He built things like the World's Fair and the Kennedy International Airport. He was a union guy. He didn't have a company. He was the guy that actually did the job, right? What if Bush had simply said, we're going to put these people through a training program. You rebuild New Orleans, and we'll help you rebuild your lives. Make lemonade out of lemons. What a novel thought. And I've made that point that a number of times when I've traveled around the country giving speaking uh, or doing speaking engagements, and people said to me, wow, you should run for office. I, I don't want to play in that fetid sandbox, that cesspool that we call the political system. We're expected to vote for people because they're the lesser of two evils. Well, how does that happen? Because most candidates run for office not by telling you how great their plans are, but how terrible their opponent is. So from day one, we're voting for the worst of the lesser of two evils, aren't we? But imagine if politicians actually did stuff like that. Let's get creative. Let's get innovative. Because if you have people who've been released from prison, they're out there. We've got to find a way to reintegrate them into society in a way that benefits them and benefits our society. Think about how wonderful that would have been. But George W. Bush, what did he do? You know what he did. Mayorkas has done so many terrible things besides the Mexican border, and what enrages me is all we hear about is the Mexican border. He made it clear that he will not punish people who hire illegal aliens, and he won't punish the aliens either. Well, it just got even worse. Fox News reported earlier today, here's the headline, DHS helps non-citizen workers, a.k.a. aliens, folks, avoid deportation when they report U.S. labor violations. DHS streamlined the process of applying for deferred action. Okay. Wow. Just stop and think of what we're hearing here. Let me, let me read to you the, the beginning of this article. It's, it's infuriating, I have to tell you. 
The Department of Homeland Security on Friday announced a new expedited process aimed at encouraging non-citizen workers to report labor rights violations in the U.S. by allowing them to avoid deportation. DH said the policy of insulating non-citizen workers from the threat of being deported. The threat? That's the job of the administration when an alien violates the law. Okay, the threat of being deported. The threat of what? Our government functioning as it's supposed to because that's what the laws require? When the president takes the oath of office to defend the Constitution, part of the Constitution says, um, Article 4, Section 4, that the states are to be protected against invasion and domestic violence, right? So what are we talking about? The threat of deportation? Is that like the threat of being mugged by a criminal who was turned loose and shouldn't have been? Or the threat of dying of a drug overdose because they won't secure the border and keep drugs out? And not just the border in Mexico. That that garbage is coming in through international airports, on ships, the Canadian border. We're inundated with drugs, and people are dying every single day by the hundreds. That's a threat. But illegal aliens face the threat of deportation? Stop and think about what they're saying. Wow. The Department of Homeland Security, I'm reading it again, on Friday announced a new expedited process aimed at, quote, non-citizen workers to report labor violations by allowing them to avoid deportation. DH said the policy of insulating non-citizen workers from the threat of being deported, known as deferred action, will make it easier for authorities to investigate cases of shoddy labor law standards put in place by, quote, exploitive employers. The department said it has streamlined the process of granting deferred action when these cases arise. Quote, unscrupulous employers who prey on the vulnerability of non-citizens, non-citizen workers harm all workers and disadvantage businesses who play by the rules, said DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, Quote, we will hold these predatory actors accountable by encouraging all workers to assert their rights, report violations they've suffered or observed, and cooperate in labor standards investigations. And it goes on. Deferred action was also used for DACA, Deferred Action Childhood Arrivals. So we need to quickly think about what that was about. Deferred action, that I've written about it. In fact, I wrote an article for Fox News back when Obama first did this insanity with DACA, and said that what the president had referred to as, as um, prosecutorial discretion should more properly be referred to as prosecutorial deception. They have built an empire on lies, okay? Deferred action is a compassionate program, and as an immigration agent, I was involved with it, so that if a family came to the United States from somewhere else, let's say, and their child is hit by a car, or the mother has a stroke, or the father has a heart attack, or the family that they're visiting has a medical emergency and they want to stay here to take care of the person. We're not going to force people to abandon their children or the members of their family in the ER or the hospital and, and kick them out because their visa expires. So let's say a, a child is badly hurt in a car crash. He's in the hospital. He cannot move. It, it would be a disaster for him to be removed. His home country doesn't have the medical treatment that is necessary for this child's recovery and survival. We allow him to stay. And normally what would happen is the doctor would have to, every 30 days or every 90 days, provide a status update on the progress of the person in the hospital, the fact that the person still can't travel, and we would then continue to provide deferred action protection the entire family 
even including employment authorization if we're talking about a lengthy period of time because not too many people can afford to go without working if they're trying to support themselves. So we would give them employment authorization out of compassion. And hopefully, God willing, at some point, that, that child or the family member who's been injured or stricken ill is well enough to go home. Hopefully it ends that way. Sometimes, tragically, it ends with a funeral. But let's say they're able to travel. So then they're notified, okay, you have uh, you know, 30 days to wrap up all of whatever it is you've been doing, sell off whatever properties you might have bought so that you could stay here. Maybe you bought a car. Dispose of all those properties. Uh, and, and let's say you, you have until you know, February 15th to depart the United States. And then you expect them to leave it, and generally they did. And it was done as a compassionate program to help people who were in a tough situation. For all the talk about how evil immigration law enforcement is, we're the most generous and reasonable of probably any government on the planet. And we would make certain that the doctors were, you know, giving us the updates. In some cases, we actually, I had a case of somebody who stole stationery from a doctor's desk up in Washington Heights and wrote this terribly disjointed letter with misspelled words and all kinds of crazy mistakes in it, uh, asking that the government permit, uh, you know, so-and-so to remain in the United States. I think he was a citizen of the Dominican Republic. So we ultimately tracked down the doctor. I took a statement from the doctor. He looked at the letter. He says, oh, my gosh. I said, where do you keep your stationery? He said, well, my secretary, my receptionist, has some of my stationery right near the window. I said, I think you need to move it, and you need to consider it to be like a security item because somebody stole some of your stationery so they could prepare those bogus letters. And he agreed, and they, you know, they moved the location of the tray that had all these blank letters, and then and we resolved the problem. We ultimately found the alien. We deported the alien. And I'm trying to remember if we actually prosecuted the individual who prepared the letter for the guy because someone else prepared the letter. And, and that's the kind of investigations we used to do, one of many types of investigations we would do to combat immigration fraud, people trying to game the system by lying. It was never designed, deferred action was never designed so that you drop a net on a population of millions of illegal aliens, and that's what they did with DACA. Obama, if you remember, said Congress failed to act. They wouldn't pass the DREAM Act, which was another charade. By the way, for all the talk about how the word alien is so horrible, if you remember, DREAM Act was an acronym, right? Development Relief and Education of Alien Minors. So this terrible word alien became palatable because they needed to have an A to plug in to spell out DREAM Act. So alien minors worked perfectly. And by the way, it really wasn't about alien minors, another lie. Everyone said, oh, if I asked them, how young could you be or how old could you be in order to file? They said, well, you have to vet it before you were 16, so you have to be, you know, no older than 16. I said, uh-uh. The DREAM Act initially was, I think, age 36 or 37, and, and the, the, they simply had to fill out the form and claim they had entered, you know, 15 years earlier, 20 years earlier. Why 35? 30, then, then DACA was 35. Why 35? Because if you look at the demographics, it was estimated that 90% of the illegal alien population were under the age of 35. So this was actually comprehensive immigration reform by political fiat, using executive action and deferred action as a way of circumventing a failure of legislation to pass. 
what Obama called a failure of the government, a failure of Congress. No, it wasn't a failure. They were exercising uh, their authority and saying, no, we think this is a bad law. Saying no is not a failure to act. They just didn't act the way he wanted, so he found a way to circumvent the legislative process, in other words, circumvent the Constitution that he took an oath to defend. Right? We're back at it again. We're going to use deferred action and allow aliens to remain in the country for two years if they rat out their boss who's terrible. What happens when these illegal aliens lie about their employer and make up stories? And now the employer is in the hot seat. He's going to have to hire attorneys, which pleases Washington no end on both sides of the aisle. Bob Goodlatte, Republican, immigration lawyer, right? Zoe Lofgren, Democrat, immigration lawyer. Yeah, when they say that there's a bipartisan effort to pass some terrible piece of legislation like comprehensive immigration reform, that's not bipartisan. That's called collusion, okay? Let's call it what it is. Let's strip aside the Orwellian use of language. Bipartisan all too frequently means collusion. Against whom? Us, we the people. So they're going to use deferred action. Again, give aliens up to two years to remain in the United States with permission to work if they rat out their employer and God only knows if the employer is really a bad guy. Now, let me be very clear. I found some horrendous situations where employers were, I mean, they were animals. I walked into one sweatshop and one of the women took me aside and she said, this guy makes us have sex with him if we want to keep the job. And I had three or four women verify it, that on the lunch hour, one of the way he would walk up and down the aisle of the sweatshop and the people were working shoulder to shoulder, dust was flying. It was literally a sweatshop, no air conditioning. It was during the summer. It was 100 degrees in the damn place. But this guy's office had three air conditioners running. And he'd walk up and down the aisle and tap one of the women on the shoulder and say, I'll see you on my lunch hour. And if she said no, they'd be fired. And some of these women were married. And they had to make a decision. Do they want to remain faithful to their husbands or do they need the job more? This guy should have been in jail. And by today's standards, I'm I'm certain he'd be criminally prosecuted. And he richly deserved to be in a jail cell. Absolutely. But you're incentivizing illegal aliens to lie and put an employer in trouble for no reason. They'll do the investigation. What happens to the employer meanwhile, right? Think about that. So you really need to understand how dangerous this is for the employer, how unfair. This isn't about justice any longer. This isn't about protecting Americans. This is about serving a political agenda for an administration that has zero transparency, zero credibility, and couldn't care less about national security or public safety. Couldn't care less about how many Americans and other people are losing their lives. Between bail reform, where criminals are turned loose on the street, the refusal to prosecute and deport criminal aliens, take measures that the 9-11 Commission said were necessary to keep us safe from terrorist attacks, it's beyond belief. Paroling people into the United States and saying that that's the legal process? No, parole is not a substitute for the visa requirement, but yet that's exactly how Biden is describing it. It's a lie. 
and all these people applying for asylum, and even the people on TV don't get it. Well, if their conditions back home are that terrible. No, that's not political asylum. Maybe economic refugees, <clears throat> but not political refugees. Right? When you talk about political asylum, you're talking about a very select group of people, individuals who face persecution or worse in their home country, because of their race, their religion, their ethnicity, their tribal affiliation, their sexual orientation, or their political beliefs. Period. Full stop. It's not because the gangs are out there. It's not because there's poverty. It's not because the water isn't safe to drink. That's not political asylum. Let me read to you what's on page 98 of the official government report, 9-11 and terrorist travel. This report was authored by the attorneys and federal agents who were assigned to work with the 9-11 Commission. Page 98, immigration benefits. Quote, terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status. That's what deferred action is, folks. Or applying for asylum after entering. Applying for asylum. We now have millions of asylum applicants floating around the country. Their cases all need to be adjudicated. We are overflowing that system that the 9-11 Commission warned could be exploited by terrorists, right? Let me go back and continue reading this. Okay, as already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Okay, so I'll finish reading it after I make this point. They are giving people two years in the United States, they're illegal aliens, and their only claim to fame is their willingness to claim that the person they worked for treated them illegally, unfairly. And they have an automatic two-year stint. And here the 9-11 Commission staff says, in many cases, the act of filing for immigration benefits suffice to permit the aliens to remain in the, in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Now listen to this. Terrorists. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. Two years. And by the way, who's going to look for them when the two years is up uh, and, 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 they, uh, and their claims don't hold water? Who's going to look for them? We don't have interior enforcement. What I want you to do, please, Reach out to your Congress representatives, your congressional representatives, whether it's your Congress, uh, congressman or congresswoman, or your senators, and say to them, listen, especially the Republicans, you're jumping up and down. We need to impeach Mayorkas. We need to fix the border. You can't fix the border at the border. A lot of what needs to be done requires interior enforcement, interior enforcement, a job I did for 26 years. Special agents of ICE are involved with everything from working on the Joint Terrorism Task Force to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, where I spent 10 years, to the Violent Gang Task Force. They go after criminal aliens. They go after immigration fraud. They go after the employers who hire illegal aliens. Think of the job they do. 
They arrest people who were deported and came back, and they're now looking at serious jail time, a, a section of law that I worked with Al D'Amato to create in the 80s. Because these are felonies, not like jaywalking that we've heard from the globalists, but all that we keep hearing from the Republicans. Impeach Mayorkas to the southern border. And by the way, as I mentioned when I was at, at hearings, um, the immigration system is like a balloon. If you squeeze one end, it's going to bulge someplace else. If aliens can't come in across the Mexican border, they'll find another way. I, I believe I've mentioned it on my last program. If you think of the TV series and the subsequent movie, Miami Vice, most of the narcotics from Latin America flowed into the United States through Florida on speedboats. When Reagan implemented a program to intercept the speedboats, and lots of the drugs were being seized, and we were able to work with the Colombian government to prosecute the, the cartel leaders in Colombia, the cartel made a decision. The leaders made a decision. They'll move the drugs through Mexico. Mexico gives them further insulation against U.S. prosecutors, and also it's much more difficult for the drugs to be detected when they flow across the U.S.-Mexican border. Right? If you just plug up the border, they'll find other ways. That's the point. You need to address all the issues at one time. Um, I was talking to General Paul Valley, former general, good friend of mine, and we talked about interior enforcement and border security. And I said, you know, I'm not a military guy, but I remember reading about how air power is so important when you use uh, air power to support the troops on the ground. It's a coordinated attack. And he agreed. He said without air power, we couldn't get the job done, and without ground forces, you can't hold territory. So you need both to work together. Interior enforcement needs to work with border security. But we never hear about interior enforcement. That's the issue here, folks. We have virtually no interior enforcement. So employers hire illegal aliens with impunity. Aliens commit immigration fraud. And as you just saw from that statement, immigration fraud was the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. So the people that would be behind enforcing the laws, uncovering all these schemes and all these violations of laws, are not Border Patrol agents, but ICE agents. Maybe we need to reconfigure DHS altogether and, and have immigration as it was supposed to be under the Homeland Security Act, which would be a standalone agency. You would simply have immigration law enforcement. And the way I talked about it was the Immigration Enforcement Tripod. The Border Patrol enforces the immigration laws between ports of entry. The inspectors enforce the laws at ports of entry. I did that job for four years. And finally, the agents do interior enforcement, and that's the third leg of the tripod that was always way too short and way too weak. We need equal emphasis on interior enforcement to try to undo the damage that Biden did through the admission of unknown millions of illegal aliens who are now floating around the country. When they say we're going to go after root cause, not all of them are here for a job. Some of them are fugitives from justice. Some of them are involved with terrorism. Some of them are gang bangers. So this nonsense, we're going to go after root cause, cause is simply that you have people here who shouldn't be here, and they need to be deterred by enforcement and when we hear this nonsense from Biden about how uh, we're going to shield them, we're going to protect them from deportation, deportation should be one of the missions of the administration. When they say we're not going to do it, they are firing the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world, including from countries that hate America 
and sponsored terrorism. This is madness. It's an act of national suicide. And we the people need to be heard. We need to have conversations with our friends and neighbors, not fight, conversations. Because if it's properly explained, just about every American who's rational and reasonable will agree that our borders need to be secured and our immigration laws need to be enforced fairly but effectively. Get involved, folks. I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. Thank you for joining me. Hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long for now. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.